It's great to be back with you on Answering Religious Error. Thank you for tuning in for our Tuesday afternoon study, Tuesday at noon Eastern Standard Time each week in our current series, Why I Believe. We've covered a lot of subjects, especially concerning Christ and belief in Him, and His existence, His Word, His, His, His doctrine. And today we're going to get a little bit more in depth with one of the aspects of that doctrine, and that is why I believe that baptism is essential. This is something that the world uh, religious world especially is very divided over we need to look at what the bible has to say and uh, we'll answer that question why i believe baptism is essential as a reminder tune in every wednesday at noon eastern standard time for the live bible q a if you have questions or comments maybe it's about this program or uh, just another offhanded question you are welcome to send that question in to questions at answering and uh, Brian and the gang will take your questions and answer those live on the show. You can comment on any of our lessons. If you just go to our Facebook page, Answering Religious Error, or the YouTube channel, there's also a chat there. Uh, you can make comments, and um, we may not see a comment if you comment on a shared page, uh, but we will be happy to take any serious Bible questions and answer them on the question and answer on Wednesdays. I also want to remind you that these programs are airing in a podcast uh, basis after the program airs, so shortly later today, after we finish uh, in about an hour or so. Uh, you can go back and listen to a podcast while you're in the car or while you're getting ready for work, whatever it might be, and uh, enjoy the Answering Religious Error shows, including every day beginning Monday through Friday, as early as 5 a.m. is the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan. You'll meet Mark in just a moment, and uh, he's up to about 197 episodes, I think, or 191. I, I lost count this morning, but uh, go back and uh, review that program. He had a good 15-minute program today. Uh, to encourage us on, uh, you know, things that are root causes of of why maybe we lack in belief and faith and uh, what are the underlying reasons. And so check out that program today. And if you haven't caught up, well, you've got plenty to listen to. That's Mark Dunnigan on the Daily Answer podcast. So speaking of Mark and the rest of the gang, uh, let's go ahead and meet everyone this morning. Good to have uh, Mark Dunnigan with us, Mark Gibson. Terry Benton and Bob Myhan. This has been a while since we've had the five of us together on the program. So kind of good to, uh, we've had a few fill-ins the past few weeks and we appreciate so many men that are uh, participants of this program and the good work that they do. But good to be with you today. How's everybody doing? And uh, anything uh, you'd like to say before we begin our program? Looking forward to the study. Good to be with you all today. Good to have the gang back together. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've been down a couple of weeks but I'm a lot better now uh, missed a Sunday preaching mm -hmm. and uh, but I'm back in the saddle okay good and so uh, back on the program too glad to be here well excellent excellent glad for that so before we begin let's bow our heads and we'll offer a word of thanks to God our Father in heaven we're thankful to come to you today in prayer to give praise honor and glory to your name uh, not only in the things that we say to you but the teachings of your word through your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for this word that you've given us. We call it the Bible. We're thankful that we have the source to guide us through this life as we are ultimately guided to a home in heaven with you someday. Help us to follow your will. When we look at the questions, why I believe, please uh, understand that we are striving our best to believe in your word and only your word and nothing else. 
keep our faith strong and help those that are listening um, be encouraged by the things that are shared today. We appreciate so many that have been uh, viewers of these programs for so long, and we appreciate this avenue in which we can come to others um, throughout the world. And so please help this gospel message spread uh, that others may hear and be encouraged and take action and make application in their lives uh, to make things right with you. Thank We're thankful for these men uh, and their wisdom as they will share with us today in regard to a very important subject. And we appreciate so much the simplicity of your word that we can understand it as easily as it's written, as easily as it was preached. We're thankful for the health of all involved. We're thankful for Bob's health and bringing him back to us. So please keep us in your care. Help us to praise your name in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, good to be with you all. We're going to turn the study over to Mark. Good to see you this morning. It is. It is good to be here. Uh, it's a reunion show. It's the reunion. <laughs> it's uh, here we are right after Memorial Day. Uh, hopefully you guys had a great Memorial Day. I know we did. Uh, right now, right now up in Saratoga, Saratoga, upstate New York, one of the epic battles of the Revolutionary War where the American forces fought back a British invasion. Um, I'm not sure if it's the only, I'll have to check in the sentence, but uh, on our travel, Cindy and I have seen a lot of this last two months, Chris, as we came and saw you and saw Terry, man, we've seen a lot of American history from Yorktown, Jamestown, Williamsburg, Roanoke Island with the Lost Colony, Kitty Hawk with the Wright Brothers, and up to Gettysburg, which is a sobering, reflective experience, uh, the cost of our freedom that we have today. And um, right now in Saratoga, another military battlefield. We, always, we also hit, uh, outside of Virginia, the Battle of First Manassas the first major battle of the Civil War, or as it was also called the Battle of Bull Run. And so we got our, but let's go to pressing matters. Let's go to more matters of eternity. And so let's go to our first question that we have here, Chris. We want to talk about baptism. Uh, Mark 16, 16, for many of you, maybe you've talked to your friends and neighbors about it. And there, uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And a number of people are going to argue with that and say, no, no, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that baptism is essential to salvation. And so it sure looks like the verse means that to me. But my question is, the apostles, after Jesus left this earth, and as they preached the gospel, how did they interpret Mark 16, 16? Gentlemen, your thoughts. Let me, let me begin uh, by just observing this, that when they're talking about baptism, we're talking about immersion in water. Uh, that's what baptism is. And when Jesus says, he that believes and is baptized, what he means is he that believes and is immersed. And he's talking about in water uh, shall be saved. Now, that sounds odd. But I want us to remember this, that on one occasion in 2 Kings 5, Naaman was a leper. And God says uh, through the prophet, he says, you go down to the Jordan and dip yourself in the water. And once he did that, he was cleansed. Now, the water didn't do it. It was his faith in what God had commanded. So uh, I think in a similar way, you can look in Acts chapter two and Peter is going to do what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. He preaches the gospel. They were cut to the heart 
they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, baptism requires much water. John chapter three, verse 23 says that John baptized because there was much water. When you go into the section of the Bible, that's after Mark 16, 16, after the great commission, did they carry that on? And you see in Acts chapter eight, that Philip taught the eunuch and they came to some water. And he says, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You see, Philip taught him about Jesus. And he and Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will, will be saved. So Philip understood, I've got to carry out what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. And the eunuch understood that that requires water then. So he says, well, what hinders me? Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Because he understood that he that believes and is baptized will be saved. He understood that. And Philip understood that. And the 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost understood that. But I'm wondering today, why is it that people don't understand that anymore? It's like it's, like it's become so mysterious and so deep that you have to have somebody uh, that uh, supposedly knows Greek. And they, they can see behind the translations that we have. Every translation says the same thing. And so it's not a problem of the Hebrew or the Greek saying something different than the translator said, well, this is what it means in English. It means the same thing. And the 3000 understood that on the day of Pentecost. And Philip and the eunuch understood that in Acts chapter eight. In fact, uh, Paul himself waited three days. He had, he believed in Jesus, but in Acts chapter nine, uh, and according to his report on that in Acts 22, 16, he understood that even though I'm praying to Jesus, even though I'm sorry, even though I believe in Jesus, Ananias says, well, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. So that's, that's how they interpreted Mark 16, 16. So I don't know how, how people uh, manage to trick themselves and deceive themselves into thinking there's some other explanation. No, baptism can't be essential. Well, the apostles thought it was. And, and I've just introduced a few of the verses that show that to be the case. Any other thoughts anybody has on that? Terry, before we move on to anybody else, I'd like to kind of, for the audience to get their head around what Terry was saying. He was saying that on the day of Pentecost, you know, uh, Peter gets up. And Peter places repentance and baptism before the remission of sins, not after. In fact, it doesn't make any sense that Peter would place baptism after the forgiveness of sins because he would be saying to the people that said, what shall we do? He would be saying, well, repent and be baptized because you're already saved. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense. Also, the eunuch, it's interesting when the eunuch said, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip does not say, well, where did you get this crazy idea you had to be baptized? Or you don't have to be baptized. That's not the response. The response to what prevents me from being baptized is not, well, that's not essential or that's not important. It's rather, if you believe with all your heart, you may. That's faith and baptism. 
And then the example of Saul of Tarsus is great because here's a man who believes, is repentant, and has been praying. And yet Ananias says, arise and be baptized, wash away your sins. And so until baptism, he still has sins. Gentlemen, your other thoughts. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all approach the Great Commission from different perspectives and give uh, different bits of information about it. As we already saw in Mark chapter 16, in verse 15, Jesus said to the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That word gospel, the good news, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we know that this would involve the command to be baptized because he then says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe uh, will be condemned. Some will argue that, well, he didn't say he who is not baptized will be condemned. Well, he didn't need to say that because if you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse uh, verse 6. And so uh, that, was, that was Mark's approach. That's what Mark quoted. Then in Matthew, uh, he quoted Jesus as saying, uh, go ye and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even in the world. Matthew doesn't mention belief there, but he does mention preach, make disciples. You make disciples by creating within an individual the desire to, uh, to, to learn from and follow Jesus Christ. And they would be following uh they would be learning by hearing, and then they would be following by submitting to the command to be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Luke, on the other hand, does not mention water baptism at all. He simply says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name uh, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And as we've already pointed out in Acts chapter 2, the first time the gospel is preached in Jerusalem, Peter puts water baptism between repentance and remission of sins. And so if you didn't repent, the baptism wouldn't accomplish anything. But if you are not baptized, the repentance won't accomplish anything. And so if repentance comes prior to remission of sins, then baptism comes prior to the remission of sins because baptism is between the two. And so nobody says you repent because your sins were already forgiven. But they want to say, be baptized because your sins were already forgiven. But for the forgiveness of sins cannot mean both things at the same time. And it's like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, when he established the Lord's Supper concerning the fruit of the vine, he said, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So what Jesus' blood was shed for that is what we are to be baptized for. Not only that, that is what we, what we are to repent for. That is what we are to believe for. That is what we are to confess for. And in Acts chapter 8, mentioned by uh, both Terry and, and Mark, uh, Philip hadn't said anything about water baptism as far as the text is concerned. He simply preached to the eunuch Jesus. But that must have involved something about baptism because it created within the you, uh, eunuch's heart, the desire to be baptized. What hinders me from being baptized? And, and again, Peter didn't say, what do you mean? Where did you get the idea? 
Well, he got the idea from what Peter had preached. And so he wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And so he wanted to submit to baptism. And so the apostles interpreted Mark 16, 16 as a teaching that baptism was essential to salvation. And we see that in the first gospel sermon. We see that in the preaching of, uh, of Philip, who sat at the apostles' feet in Acts chapter 8, both to those in the city of Samaria and to the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. And, and we see Paul doing the same thing uh, in his epistles. He refers to water baptism as something that had already they had already submitted to, but that had resulted in their in their forgiveness. And we'll talk about some of those other passages here in a little bit. But I, I don't see any way around it that we've got to interpret the passage the way the apostles did because they taught the, they taught the will of God. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so they didn't have to guess at it. Uh, they were told what by the Holy Spirit what Jesus meant. Well, the theme for the study today is why I believe baptism is essential. Essential for forgiveness of sins, essential for salvation. The word essential means necessary, absolutely necessary, not optional. And that's a very much a key in many, many debates that took place in years past between gospel preachers and denominational preachers. That word was part of the proposition, whether it was essential or not. And that's the key of what we're dealing with here. Uh, and the apostles, as has been mentioned by Terry and Mark and Bob, interpreted it as being essential. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized, a coordinating conjunction, putting together two equal things. If belief is essential, baptism is essential uh, to be saved. And I'll mention one other example in the book of Acts that I don't think has been brought up unless I missed it, and that's the Philippian jailer in, a, in chapter 16, wherein he asked in verse 30, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, he didn't know apparently too much about the matter other than he'd heard Silas and Paul singing. He knew these men were evangelists, preachers. He wanted, he had almost killed himself before Paul stopped him from doing that, and uh, he wanted to know more about uh, what he needed to do to be right and good and to be able to be like these men. And Paul, Paul and Silas told him in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Uh, and that's a true statement. Now, people, Many people will stop there, but a study of what belief and faith is in the New Testament tells us that faith always involves uh, response to any command any condition that God has given us what's what faith is all about it's always obedient it's always responds and sure enough when you read the next verse then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house that was necessary for them to believe they needed to hear faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God Romans 10 17 so in order to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ they needed to speak the word of the Lord to him and then sort of like with the Ethiopian eunuch, we know from what it says in the next verse that baptism was a part of that word. He took them same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. So part of the preaching of the necessary to believe involved 
responding to be baptized. We know that that's the case. And so we don't stop at verse 31. We read the entire context, and that's what we see. And you notice immediately they were baptized, which means they understood it was necessary. They understood it was essential. They understood this wasn't optional. We can wait till tomorrow. We can wait till next week. Maybe we don't even have to do it at all. A lot of folks think that way today, but that's not the way they were thinking and interpreting it in the New Testament. So that's just another example. Mark, great comments. And so as we kind of wrap this up, this particular section up a little bit, Jesus places baptism before salvation in Mark 16, 16. Uh, in the account of Matthew's account, it's part of making disciples. So if you're not baptized, you're not a disciple. Acts 2, repentance and baptism are placed before remission of sins. And in Acts chapter 8, baptism is part of preaching Jesus. And it's presented as essential because a eunuch is saying, exclamation point, what hinders me? And he was baptized right there. The chariot was stopped. The same is true with the Philippian jailer immediately. Uh, the same is true with the Corinthians, Acts chapter 18, verse 8. And then Saul of Tarsus, who believes, is repentant and has been praying for a number of days, is told to be to arise, be baptized, to wash away his sins. And then when Paul writes his letters, Paul makes it very clear that baptism is essential. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, it's one baptism, and it's just as important as one God, one faith, one Lord, etc. Chris, any thoughts before we go to our next question? Well, I'll share a couple things that uh, some of our viewers have uh, uh, quoted on and um, was naming, uh, I believe the word might be cleansed, uh, before he dipped seven times in the Jordan or at the point of his obedience. Was he healed by works or by the grace of God? Likewise, apply the same thoughts to baptism. Of course, one thing we certainly don't do is we don't we don't divide uh, works and the grace of God as, as two separate things. Uh, they all work together. And certainly Naaman, even though he struggled with that belief aspect, he obeyed God. And that's one of the things I love about Mark 16, 16. It's just, it's so simple to obey. Using the example of Jesus, for example, he was baptized according to the baptism of repentance under John, of course. But why? What did Jesus need to repent of? And uh, But he obeyed the Father. He obeyed the Father in all that he did. And so Naaman's a, a good example there, different kind of scenario, but the same expectations uh, from God. And even Naaman comes up with various options. And of course, Terry introduced us to that thought just a moment ago, which I think sparked the question. So appreciate that. And then uh, we have someone else who asked to please explain John 3, and I'm, I think she means verse 5. Uh, and just to read it here in conjunction with what we're talking about, uh, it says Jesus answered. This, of course, is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, um, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of uh, water and uh, of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there you see, in essence, you know, what Jesus required before entering the kingdom of God. And we can't describe water in any other way than the consistency of what we see in Scripture. And that is baptism into Jesus Christ, that immersion. John 3.16 doesn't change that. Um, 
and John 3.21, if you continue reading, because a lot, what a lot of people do is they have problems with the context of passage. They want to rip one verse out and say, see, all we need to do is believe. Well, John 3.16 doesn't say all you need to do is believe. It goes on to say that we must do the works of God. And so uh, continue reading John 3.21, and it'll help make that thought a little more clearer. Yeah, Chris, um, I appreciate, I think it's Verna, I appreciate her question. You know, one is born of water. And so what you might want to do is put, put yourself a chart, make, make a chart. And let's say use Mark 16, 16 as the template, he that believes baptized saved. And there's a number of verses, Chris, that will fit within that template. John 3, 5 is one of them because born of spirit is you believe. You believe what the Holy Spirit says in his word. Born of water is baptism. Enter the kingdom. That's the place of salvation. That's the place of remission of sins. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. But if you also put in there Titus 3, 5, where it talks about the renewing of the Holy Spirit, okay, that's faith, and the washing of regeneration, that's baptism, and then you have the word saved. So there's a number of passages that you can kind of put together that all line up that have the exact same steps where you hear the gospel, you have a good heart, you're convicted by it, you believe, that's faith, that's born of the spirit. You start changing your life and you respond to the command to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And upon that step, you're saved. Terry, you had some thoughts too, right? Yeah, I would like to observe this. I mean, and going right along with what you were saying there, you have the Holy Spirit's part in this, and then you have baptism's part in it. The Holy Spirit's part was the revealing of the word. So you have First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 23, says we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. Well, who gave us the word of God? The Holy Spirit. And he said that in chapter one earlier, that uh, the gospel came through the spirit. All right. So there's the spirit's part is giving the word. So when Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, the spirit was speaking the word through him. And then they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, uh, they were baptized, gladly received the word verse 41 and were baptized. So what you can see there is, is what John 3, 5, uh, how it plays out and what it looks like. Well, these 3,000 people received the word, thus born of the water and of the spirit, gladly received his word and were baptized, thus born of the water and of the spirit. The uh, Ethiopian eunuch, here is water. What hinders me? Because see, the spirit had already planted the word in his heart. So now I need to be born of the water and the spirit. And that's, that's, you see the new birth taking place in the Ethiopian eunuch. You see the new birth taking place in the 3000 on the day of Pentecost. Every time somebody listens to the word of the Holy spirit and then says, I'm convinced by the Holy spirit that I need to be baptized. Well, then they're born of the water and of the spirit. That's how it happens. Those are my thoughts. Terry, great point. And I think, Chris, a great place where you see that the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, Chris, who heard the gospel, when they respond, 
men and brethren, what shall we do? Right there, they've been convicted. Okay, that, that's been born of the Spirit. It's not against your will, but you've heard the message and you've been impacted by it and you're ready to change now. I think uh, the eunuch, what prevents me from being baptized? Okay, what is that? That's being born of the Spirit. Okay, so uh, Chris, what's our next question there? All right, so the reason I bring this up, Chris, is because years ago, someone, and this was even a member of the church that said, you know, I just don't have any idea why God told us that we need to be in worse than water. And I kind of shook my head at that, like, wait a minute, I think God's pretty much clearly outlined that he's, baptism is this beautiful imagery, and to me it makes perfect sense at all, but I'd like the men to comment upon, uh, upon this. You know, in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote that we are buried with him by baptism into death, and then we are raised to walk in newness of life. If newness of life begins after we are raised from the waters of baptism, then it must have been in baptism that we were washed, cleansed, saved from our sins, uh, and so born again of water and the Spirit, this New life begins once that new birth has been uh, experienced. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. How do you get into Christ? Uh, Galatians 3, 27, as many of us as were baptized into Christ, put on Christ. You're baptized into a right relationship with Christ. That's when you put him on. That's when you become a new creature, new creation, and uh, if God was completely arbitrary, that would be fine with me. But he designated a water baptism as that point wherein we demonstrate fully and finally our faith through a an act of submission. We submit to God, to Jesus Christ, and of course, to the one who baptizes us, allowing our bodies to be uh, buried in water. And then we experience what the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 22 calls uh, the, uh, having our bodies washed with pure water. Or what Paul says to Titus, the washing of regeneration, the renewing of our Holy Spirit. There are so many figures of washing in the New Testament. It's hard to imagine that they would have nothing to do with water baptism. Excellent point. Terry, I think you're muted. Yeah, Okay unmuted now on why i wonder you know this is what we mentioned a while ago when we talked about naaman the leper back in second kings he didn't understand why why god did you tell me i mean aren't these other rivers just as good and you know i thought somebody would come out and wave his hand over me he couldn't understand why and that was the point if you don't understand why, but you do understand that God said it and God commanded it. Is there any way that you can misunderstand that, that God said it and God commanded it? And unless you do it, you don't believe God. So it maybe it might be just like with the, with Naaman, it's a test of whether you really believe. Uh, have you thought about that? that God's reasoning behind baptism was similar to Naaman's miss, you know, his uh, not being able to grasp why did God command this? 
uh, and not wanting to do it. And then when somebody said, well, if you told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when he just said, go wash in, in, uh, in the Jordan. And then so he finally submitted. And when he did, when he submitted, his leprosy was cleansed. Now, who cleansed his leprosy? Well, it was God. Well, why didn't God do it earlier? Because God said, I want to see your faith. I want to see that you believe what I say. So what's his reasoning? Well, maybe it, it's, I want you to believe what I say, but I also want you to picture, as Bob says, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to identify with that. Romans 6 says you die to sin, you're buried with him in baptism, you rise up to walk in newness of life. I want to see your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to see it applied to your life, that you die to sin, you bury the old man behind you in baptism and you rise to walk in newness of life. So why be immersed? Because God said so. And he says, this is when I'm going to cut your sins away. Colossians 2 verse 12. I want God to cut my sins away. Well, when did he say he'd do it? Well, when you are buried with Christ in baptism. So I, I think those are things, key things that I think would help us understand why be immersed. But I think the bigger question is, why not be immersed when God said to? Those are my thoughts. You know, and, and kind of along that vein, I was thinking that one of the things I like about God's word is that I don't have to explain it in human terms. This is about faith in God, my creator above me. Uh, one of the problems that we have as human beings, we're like children. We have to have a why for everything. Uh, you know, for instance, I enjoy, say, science fiction. I like the movies and things like that, getting to some discussions with people online about them. And one of the things they always come back with is, well, how does a ship fly in space? How come there, there's no noise in space? What about fire from a, an engine? It's, it's fiction, it's science fiction. You have to put it in the vein in which it is, in which the story is told. It doesn't have to make sense. Now, God's word is not fiction. God's commands are not fiction. Now, we can make them make sense. I can give you a whole list of reasons as to why we are baptized. It's the command that God gave us to put us into the kingdom, to put us into Christ, grants us remission of sins. It obeys the commands of the Lord, as I mentioned Jesus following that command a few moments ago. It gives us a reason to rejoice. It uh, forgives us from our sins, cleansed by his blood. Uh, I'm just kind of reading a list here of things I've compiled of, of uh, baptism, as Acts 2.41 says, adds us to the church. It does for us everything that we wanted anyway. Why are you trying to take a backdoor philosophy or a human philosophy to say, well, this is why I believe in God. This is why I'm going to go to church. This is why I'm going to do this. Uh, this is why I'm going to be baptized. Whereas in Acts chapter 238, uh, in one day, in one moment of time, these people were cut to the heart because they had just been accused of murdering their savior. Have, have you ever thought about that? That the first Christians, aside from the apostles and those that were with them, the first Christians were the murderers of Jesus Christ. And that was what they were primarily looking to be cleansed of. And uh, they were baptized, 3,000 souls, and uh, thus began the church without argument. And uh, of course, there were many more that said, no, I'm not going to do that. But um, you have the same thing in the world today. So it makes sense if we have faith in God trust in him and his will 
and he wants to see an act of obedience from us. Chris, great thoughts, you know, so baptism is this beautiful parallel. Jesus died for our sins upon the cross, Romans 6. We repent or we die to the practice of sin in the process of repentance and baptism. He was buried in the tomb, or buried under the water, were immersed. He arose uh, and we arise in newness of life. I, th I think there's another great benefit, Chris, is that as a Christian, when you do what Jesus said to become a Christian, you know exactly the moment that you were saved. There's no question about it. You went into the water, you came up out of the water. I think sometimes we take that for granted. Other people don't have that benefit. The people in the denominations that say, well, just say the sinner's prayer or accept Jesus into your heart, which that's not what's being taught in the book of Acts or the Great Commission. Um, they're always having to like reaffirm that throughout their life. Like, well, in case that really didn't stick, I, you know, in case God really hear me then. And so I need to do it again. And, but you're baptized. There's a clear line between lost and saved. I know we had a question there, Chris, about the what ifs when people say, well, what if someone's in the desert and they can't be immersed? And what if someone's in prison? And what if you die on the way to the baptistry? And, you know, Chris, I appreciate that question, and, and here's the way I would respond to it. First of all, God doesn't ever give any impossible commands. I mean, remember before God gives a command, the eternal wisdom of God is behind that command. God has seen all the possible future scenarios when God gives a command. Jesus didn't worry about that. When he gave the command to be baptized, he didn't worry about that. I don't think we should worry about that either. Also, the danger of making an argument like that is that you could step back and say, well, what about the person who dies before they hear a sermon? What about the person who dies before they hear about Jesus? Does that mean you're saved without faith? And of course, you go like, hey, how big is your God? Hey, let's have some trust in that God knows who you are. We don't ever find an example in the New Testament of someone who couldn't be immersed. The eunuch is out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> He's immersed. I've been to the desert. There's bathtubs in the desert. Uh, there are people currently being converted in prison. There's no problem there. I have baptized people in hospitals. No problem there. And Chris, give you one final story on this one. I was talking to a guy, real story. He went into a hospital, talked to a young man. The young man uh, heard the gospel, wanted to be baptized, but the young man is dying of AIDS, hooked up to all sorts of machines. And when the hospital staff heard that he wanted to be immersed, no way, no how. Okay, no, they're not. It, the young man was even willing to sign all the forms and release forms, Chris. No hospital, no way. And so there's a member there wringing their hands like, what's going what's gonna to happen to that poor young man that wants to be baptized and the hospital doesn't allow him to be baptized? And the preacher said, if God wants him baptized, he'll be baptized. And so they prayed. A couple of days later, Chris, he gets a phone call. Hey, you still wanting to baptize that guy? Because something happened. His health suddenly improved. And if you want to baptize him, you baptize him now. And he was baptized. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, I guess what I get tired of, I get tired of people come up with a what if and they go down the rabbit trail in the, of the what if instead of, you know, how big's your God? And why don't we pray, first of all, Chris? Well, let me add to that. And, uh, you know, this is one thing that you might, you might come up with a scenario 
but that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to most of the people that are listening on the internet with the conveniences of life today. So you can't take a scenario. If a man truly can't be immersed in water, I can't answer for that. But God will take care of that. But that doesn't leave the floodgates, well, pun intended, open for us to say, well, if he doesn't need to be baptized and I don't need to be baptized. Well, no, that, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, once we hear the times of ignorance, God is overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. We're going to be talking about repentance next week. It certainly ties into this subject, but I find it fascinating that people throw out a lot of hypothetical situations that, um, you know, we have to answer for as our, as uh, Sam has done in his question. These are the scenarios that we have to run into from time to time. And he's asking that from that perspective, you know, it's like, how do we answer people like this? And I'll just add this. I've never seen it before. I've never seen a situation where I couldn't baptize somebody into Jesus Christ. And for that, I'm thankful. Mark uh, Gibson, yeah, we yeah. put you off for quite a while. And I know that you had a comment earlier. <laughs> well, it sort of works in what Mark was talking about, uh, dealing with the English definition that's often given for baptism. Somebody might have said, well, Mark, why don't you just go in there and sprinkle some water on him? Why didn't you just go and pour some water on him like uh, many of these religious organizations do? Isn't that baptism too? Well, we've been emphasizing that it, uh, and uh, and I think Bob mentioned it earlier, that the word the word baptism uh, has a meaning of immersion, to dip or to plunge. It's a transliterated word. In fact, it just comes from the Greek baptizo. But the translation means to fully dip and plunge and to immerse. The problem is that not only is the wrong mode of the word baptism, but it's the wrong object too. What do you pour? You pour water. What do you sprinkle? You sprinkle water. What do you baptize? You don't baptize water. You baptize an individual. So pouring and sprinkling doesn't even work as a legitimate definition because you baptize people, you baptize sinners, you bury them with Christ, uh, bury them with Christ, the idea of immersion and the plunging, the dipping again. Sprinkling and pouring has no business being a legitimate definition of the word baptizo. Let's remember that. And, Mark, and good point. Not, not to belabor the point too long, but I think it's necessary for us to make one other point clear. And I, I've heard it said among brethren sometimes, Let's never define Bible bab or, uh, baptism, uh, immersion, as just a symbolic thing. Uh, I don't believe it's symbolic. Now, I think there's some symbolism we can you know, apply, but that's not why we're immersed in water. It's not just to be a symbolic. It is an act of obedience. And uh, I hope that people kind of, you know, be careful with their terminology as when they're answering the question, why? Why baptism? Of course, good comments. And also to Sam's question, I would, this is just a, something to keep in mind, Sam, is that when, when people make an argument like the scenarios, the various what ifs, I think what you need to remind them is, okay, so you see what the verses say. You're not, you're not going to, okay, you're not going to make that argument unless you clearly understand what Mark 16, 16 is teaching. And, and I think it would be good to say, we'll deal with your scenarios, but can we just for a moment have a come to Jesus moment and say, but what you're admitting is that you clearly see Acts 2.38 places baptism after, places baptism before salvation. It, you clearly see that in Mark 16.16, 16, baptism is placed before salvation because you're not going to make that what if argument if you don't see that. You see that. Okay, so that's just admit you see that. So right now, 
right now you have a crisis of that you don't trust the Lord who gave the command. And I tell you what, man, I think that there's anywhere, first of all, Chris, isn't the earth seven-eighths water? Is it? <laughs> so it's like, knowing that, hey. but if, if you live anywhere on the, if you live somewhere where there's a not enough water to fill a bathtub ever in your lifetime, I don't think you can survive well, there. Those are just my thoughts. Let me tell you, we just got off a little holiday break, right? Where did a lot of people go? They went out of their way to travel. And I know Florida and California or wherever you might be, a lot of people went to lakes and beaches and this and that. They will go out of their way to play in the water. We cannot use the excuse. If it takes you a trek through the desert, a week, a month to find water, uh, you take that trek. You go find it. You don't sit around and say, well, uh, no baptistry here. I guess I don't need to be baptized. You make some effort. Come on, people. Let's make some effort to do God's will. <laughs> and the eunuch was out in the middle of nowhere and said, see, here's water. It wasn't just Good. a coincidence. Chris, that's a great point. If people can drive hundreds of miles just to get the McRib sandwich at a McDonald's somewhere, clearly, clearly they could drive out of their way to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Amen. I drive 500 miles from some crab legs. <laughs> and you know, I imagine the Ethiopian unit began to look for water as soon as Philip mentioned the water in preaching to him, Jesus Christ. I, I don't think that, it, well, here's the water. I, I really believe they were looking for water. Uh, no telling how many times the eunuch had made this trek from Ethiopia to Jerusalem as, as most likely a, a Jewish proselyte. Uh, so he probably knew places where he could stop and fill his canteen. I mean, you don't go that far without having some place that you're planning on stopping and, and, and re replenishing your water supply because yeah. you're going to need, you're going to need water yeah. as you go. Well, if you have so, to travel a month into the desert to find water, you're probably going to be dead before you yeah, get that's right. <laughs> But see, you probably bring up another good point, Bob, that uh, reminds me, you know, Naaman actually wanted to do more than was required of him. Everything that happened was just too simple. He said, can he come out and wave his hand over the place? Well, if he can't do that, can he give me some great task? It's like he went from one extreme to the other in trying to be cleansed and going down to the Jordan River was just too simple, too simple. What, wouldn't he have wanted me to do some great thing? That's, what his, that's how his servants had to convince him. If he had come out and said, do some great thing, wouldn't you have done that? It's not about human pride. It's about obedience to God. Well, we're running out of time here. We should probably get to the next question. Let me let me observe something right quick here. When you start throwing out these little scenarios, well, what about if a person is telling you about Jesus and telling you that uh, Jesus was God, but he didn't tell you that he came in the flesh? Will that be enough to save you? Because first John chapter four says, if you don't believe that he came in the flesh, you're not of God. So how much can you leave out uh, and still be saved? That's the question. So once you, as Mark said earlier, once you start this, this, uh, this game 
of trying to get around baptism, then you can try to use similar games to get around Jesus having come in the flesh. And you can imagine a different Jesus that didn't come in the flesh and yet he still saves me. You know, you can, you can cut out some information and say, well, it's not, that part's not all that essential. Well, how much have you got to know and how much work does it take to know that? Because that leads right into the next question about faith and work. So let's go into that. So we have this question, does, any really, does anyone really believe in salvation by faith alone? And I, I think it's a really good, really good question. We, we hear people claiming that you're saved by faith alone. You're saved by faith alone. And yet you go like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that actually what the Bible says? Because in James chapter 2, 24 through 26, we actually have a clear verse that says the exact opposite, that man is not saved by faith alone. In fact, you guys, in the book of Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, it really looks like that Jesus is addressing people that it's not enough to say, Lord, Lord, that would be kind of a faith alone sort of thing. But he who does the will of my father, that's the person who makes it into the kingdom. Mark, I know you had a comment, Mark, and feel free to pull it up from the last, last question or on this one. Oh, no, I got that one. But I'll just add to that. The word alone is not in any passage other than James 2.24. But I was looking at a website before the show where they constantly go through passage after passage after passage that emphasizes belief. And they said, see, by faith alone, by faith alone, by faith alone. Problem is the word alone wasn't there. And so adding to the scripture will cause one to misunderstand the scripture. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by, by grace we have been saved through faith, not, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that any man should boast. But remember... The, the works that's being talked about there is works of perfect righteousness of which no man, no sinner can be saved. But we are saved by the works that God gives us of which faith is one. Uh-oh, James, uh, John chapter 10, how may we work the works of God? These are works of God that you may believe that that, uh, that, he, that he is or has done. And so faith itself is a work. So you can't eliminate works. It's just simply obedience not our works, not the works of the law, but the works of faithful obedience to God's conditions. Mark, you had a good comment there, and I think it's good for the audience to realize that a, a number of pe one mistake a number of people make is they find a passage that mentions faith, and it doesn't really mention any other conditions, and they assume that's all that's necessary. The problem with that is that there's equally passages that, make re that mention repentance without any other conditions. Does that mean you're saved by repentance alone? There are also passages that mention confession without any other conditions. There's also passages that mention baptism without any other passages. So, so to say, say that I, I would be saved by faith alone would be just as ridiculous as saying I'm saved by baptism alone. And the truth is that one thing has never, ever led to anyone's salvation. You got hearing the gospel. You got repentance, confession. You got the blood of Jesus Christ. You have the grace of God. Uh, you have baptism for the forgiveness of sins. The idea that one thing, just one thing is part of your salvation 
doesn't make any sense at all when all these other passages are mentioning all these other conditions, conditions on both man's side and also things God has done for us, because true salvation by faith alone would exclude God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Bob, what do you got? Well, you know, a lot of people, they want to camp on that faith alone without works. But you ask him, okay, how is one saved by faith alone without works? Well, he has to ask Jesus to come into his heart. Well, that's a work. That's something you do that God has not commanded. Never anywhere does God or any apostle or, or preacher of the gospel in the New Testament tell anyone to pray who has not already been baptized. Not merely to pray for salvation, but not to pray at all. Uh, that doesn't mean it's wrong to pray. But you cannot put your faith, your confidence in an act of, of uh, that originated in the mind of man. It is man's idea that prayer for salvation will result in salvation. But even that adds to the idea of faith. You've got to believe and you've got to ask Jesus to come into your heart, which nobody has ever told. Well, if you can add uh prayer to faith without any, any command whatsoever, any scripture evidence. How can you complain that somebody else adds water baptism to faith? When Jesus himself added water baptism to faith, Peter added water baptism to faith and repentance. Uh, Paul added uh, baptism uh, to faith. And so uh, this is what God wants. He wants us to, as you pointed out, Mark, to believe uh, in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, to repent of our sins, confess our faith, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then, of course, he wants us to be raised to walk in newness of life. Now, once again, if newness of life begins after we're baptized, you can't have the new birth prior to baptism or after that. Uh, you can't be uh, born again without being raised to walk in newness of life. And so born again is involves water baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Any other any other position on John 3, 5 is, is counterproductive. You've got born again, raised, uh, raised to walk in newness of life, then baptized. No, you can't have that. You're baptized and then you're raised to walk in newness of life because now you have been forgiven. You have been born again. Bob, you make an excellent point uh, as far as people that argue the faith-only position, and they claim that baptism is a work, and it's not. Baptism is commanded by God. But then they actually do what they, they, they actually end up making the mistake, Bob, as you pointed out. They actually place a work, a true work, as you noted. That is, it's not found in Scripture. The so-called sinner's prayer, man has written that. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible on that step. And that's a true work that doesn't save you. That is, you're not saved by coming up with your own plan. That, that That's actually a work that does not save you. And that's what they do. And I think, Bob, your point was excellent, is that when people, when people try to get rid of baptism, they put something in its place. That's man-originated. Terry, you have a thought. Just one other thing on the faith alone. The book of Romans is relied upon by some to say it's by faith alone, and it's not in there, as Mark said a while ago. It's not in there. 
of faith alone anywhere except James 2, and it says not by faith alone. But if you go to Romans 1, 5, it says obedience of faith. And that's, a, that's the first part of the book. That's your book end number one. The other end says in uh, Romans 15, 26, obedience of faith. And right in the middle, after just uh, discussing baptism, he says, you obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine that was delivered to you. So it's an obedience of faith. It's not faith alone that the book of Romans is talking about. And and they're just not a passage that helps one out in uh, thinking that uh, I can be saved by some kind of mental thought and God's going to then zap me into salvation right then at the moment that thought hits my head and i believe it uh, then god's going to zap me right into salvation no he's going to wait until you repent and are baptized and then he will cut your sins away that's that's god's method that's god's plan and that's god's if you believe god that's what you'll do those are my thoughts Kind of reminds me years ago in, in the 90s, I had formally debated a man over the issue of faith only. And I had prepared chart after chart after chart. This is before we were using PowerPoint. So it was all on handwritten on slides and copied on the machine. But anyway, um, I get up there prepared for the argument. And then he starts spending half his time talking about the necessity of repentance. And I was like, okay, well, that's great for my argument, but I wasn't even prepared to talk about that. It's like, you just, you just went against your entire philosophy in regard to faith only. And you know, that that's fine. I was all for it. I'm like, I agree. You must repent. And what point do you leave out baptism, of course? But when you look at faith alone, I mean, what saves us? Mark, you had mentioned this earlier, and I just want to go through a list real quickly of all the things that saves us you know in the, in the scriptures yes jesus saves matthew 121 belief saves acts 16 29 and following confession saves romans 10 verse 9 grace saves ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5 faith saves ephesians 2 and verse 8 works saves james 2 24 mercy saves titus 3 and verse 5 this is how these verses are worded by the way um, gospel saves first Corinthians 15, one through two. You could add Romans one 16 to that as well. Uh, his name saves acts four and verse 12, the word saves acts 11, 14. And of course, baptism saves, as we mentioned from John or excuse me, Mark 16, 16, and as well as first Peter three 21, uh, the word salvation is connected to every single one of these things, but yet this isn't a salad bar. It's not a buffet. You don't go pick and choose what you want and leave the rest behind. All of these things are simultaneous. And um, I can say I believe all day long. But if I'm not baptized into Jesus Christ, you know what that says? It says I don't believe and I don't trust in God's word. I want to um, just go ahead and do a little plug here before I forget. Bob Myhan wrote a book uh, called Water Baptism. And I suggest that everyone get it. Uh, Bob, I think you can find it on Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's where I got mine from. So yeah, uh, look it up. Water baptism by Bob Myhan, M-Y-H-A-N. It's going to help you work through a lot of these issues. It's an easy read. Um, it's, it's not, a, it's not a long book, uh, but it's an excellent study. So I would suggest that to anyone pages, that wants to know a little bit more on this subject. Only 64 pages long. It won't take you long to read it at all. It'll take you a long time to study through it, yeah. write in it, 
search your scriptures. It'll be a good study for you. Granted, there are probably a lot of things that we have not been able to cover in our study today. We've, uh, we're about out of time. Uh, Mark, any last thoughts before we, uh, before we leave? Great study, gentlemen. Thanks for being available. Thanks to the audience. Thanks for the people that wrote in questions and comments. Uh, Lord willing, if I have a good internet tomorrow, I'll be on the Wednesday Eastern noon live Bible Q&A. And so right now I'm going to sign off from, I want to say Sarasota. It's not Sarasota. Saratoga. Saratoga, <laughs> New York. Gentlemen, great to be on the show today. Hopefully, I will see some of you tomorrow as well. And um, keep us in your prayers. Take care, Mark. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good to be with you all. Have a great rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. Please. As Mark had said, uh, please join them for the live Bible Q&A tomorrow. And uh, you, if you have any questions about this study, or I know we've had some other comments and questions that were posted today that we have not had an opportunity to get to, but we appreciate you watching and, uh, and listening and uh, commenting. But please send those to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. And uh, your questions can be part of the live Bible Q&A. That's every Wednesday at noon. And so uh, you'll have some of these men and others to answer any questions that you might have. Again, we want to remind you that this program and all the other ARE programs will air in a podcast format shortly after the program airs. But you can start as early as 5 a.m. Monday through Friday and listen to the Daily Answer podcast with our own Mark Dunnigan. So please tune into that. We want to thank you for listening to the program today. And of course, uh, remember Monday nights, uh, Bob Myhan has his own program called Bob's Bible Basics. You can find that on YouTube and Facebook as well. And I'll just go ahead and say one more time, don't forget to get his book, Water Baptism by Bob Myhan. You can find it on Amazon and other retailers. Hey, thanks for listening today. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Answering Religious Era.